0: Today we're jumping into uh, a passage in Matthew 25, Matthew 25. My name is Aswan, I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance, and um, man, I would love to dive into the text this morning and uh, explore what God would say to us. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. I knew you were, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness in that place where there will be gnashing, Weeping and gnashing of teeth. O-M-G. This is heavy stuff, um, but I want to explore this passage a bit. See, when growing up for me, um, I was kind of forced to learn how to take care of other people's stuff. See, because my mother and my father, um, they made sure that if I borrowed something, that I took really good care of it. And if I didn't, uh, there were some repercussions. But, I, but looking back on that, I actually know now that two things were happening. One, my parents didn't want to look bad. That's the reality. All the parents say amen. And they didn't want to pay for anything, right? So even if I went into a store, and, you know, you kids, you go in a store, you better not touch nothing. Don't touch nothing. You better not break anything, Right? I'm gonna take it out of your allowance. Mom, you don't even give me allowance. <laughs> if I did. But I learned and and primarily through fear that I was to take care of people's things. But but I think in this passage, God is something is, and, and maybe your, your cultural context, maybe you grew up different than I. Maybe that's not how you grew up. And, and I don't think my parents were just trying to scare me. I really do think the heart, at the core of what they were trying to teach me was to be responsible, to be a responsible young man. And responsible young men take care of other people's things. But what I think is true of us, no matter how we grew up, God is concerned with how we take care of the things he's given us. What I think is true of everyone in here is that uh, God cares about, He's in the business of caring about what you and I do with the things that he's given us. See, oftentimes we're probably in situations where we're praying, God, give me more of this. God, I need more of this. If I could have only another couple square feet of my apartment. If I, amen. If I could have more money, if I could have more. God, and we're so sincere in our prayers. And, and I think God uh, loves that and he invites that. And I believe God is also saying back to us, what have you done with what I've already given you? How have you managed the things that I've already put in your hands? So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to start a series here at Renaissance called Stewardship. And we're going to look at uh, this idea, explore this idea of stewardship. And we'll have a definition this morning. Stewardship is... The process by which people manage the things that God has given us. And I know stewardship kind of sounds like a really churchy Christian word, but it's, but it's really not. It's really a, a basic concept. See, in ancient times, um, uh, there, were, there were rulers who typically had servants who ran their affairs. I mean, that was kind of common practice. There was no spiritual meaning behind it. There was no spiritual discipline of doing it. Uh, it really was just how it, how it worked. We see Joseph in the Bible being sold into slavery, and he ends up at Potiphar's house. And uh, he is asked to take care of all the things. And then a famine happens. And who's in control? Joseph's in control, making sure that the right people get the right things and and things were taken care of. And so, again, uh, there was no uh, uh, spiritual reason why that was happening. That was kind of fundamental to the times. But but then I think the term stewardship began to grow a bit. And, yes, in probably uh, circles of faith. Uh, stewardship began to, to, to connote this idea of how do you take care of your money? How are you doing with your finances? Are you tithing? Are you uh, giving to the needy? Um, how are you using your funding? And somebody like me being in full time ministry, how i 'm using my funding is really important. but but i don 't think the word is relegated to how we use our funds uh, it 's a much broader meaning, and today, in light of this passage, what we're going to, the, the definition we're going to use for this or, the, or the, the, the meaning that I want you to, to have when you think about stewardship is what do you have in your hands? What currently is in your personal wheelhouse? And, and, and here's an example. I love how we see um, Moses. And uh, in the Bible, Moses is said to have this encounter with God at a bush. And the bush is—it has fire all around it, but it's not consumed by the fire. And the voice of God is permeating from this bush. And, and, and Moses and God are having this interaction. And, and God is saying, yo, Moses, listen, man, I have drafted you to be a part of the holy all-star team. It's your turn. You are the captain of this team. And Moses is like, why? Like, you don't really know. I got all these issues. Why me? Why are you choosing me? And God Goes back and and God is in I love the fact that God would even indulge in this conversation, and and God is giving him some instructions and 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 God's like, yo Moses, you're gonna free the people, you're gonna you're gonna do these things, you're gonna do it. Trust me, I'm with you, I got you. You're gonna do these things. And and Moses replies. He says he says, what if they don't believe me? What if what if when I go they actually don't believe anything I'm saying? Like what if what if I what if they don't believe me? And God says, yo, check this out. What do you have in your hand? And I would imagine if I was there, uh, um, Moses probably looked around and like, and he had a staff in his hand. And God said, take the staff, throw it on the floor. And it turns into a serpent. And then he says, pick it up. And he picks it up. And it turns back into a staff. And and God just wanted to demonstrate this simple truth. That whatever you and I have in our hands, God is going to use it with his power to show his power off in the world. Whatever you have in your hand, whatever you have in your personal wheelhouse, God is willing and wants to use the very things you have in your hand to show off his power to the world. And that's the kind of God that we're dealing with. See, uh, here's an example. For me, I I grew up playing basketball. I got a chance to play basketball at at different levels, and um, it's what I have in my wheelhouse, right? If I was to come to PS76, I could easily help kids in middle school learn how to shoot. I don't have to go to school. I don't have to get a shooting license. It's currently something I already have, and all I would need to do is show up here and actually give them some of my talent. And, and to be honest, it probably wouldn't even take a whole lot of effort because middle school kids are not, no, let me not say that. But, but I would be able to show them some basic principles of shooting um, and not have to go anywhere else. The concept, the idea that I want us to explore is um, what do you have in your hand? And here's the truth. Whatever you have in your hand, it all comes from God. It all comes from God. Everything we have in our personal wheelhouse, from our intellect to our athleticism, from our charm to our checking account, it all has been gifted to you and I from God. See, think of like a cake. I think of a cake, like a cake um, has ingredients. And what God is saying is, I, I've given you ingredients. You have to make the cake. Each and every one of us has The ingredients to make something. And this is what Jesus is getting at in this passage. Uh, God wants you and I to take the very things that we have in our hands and actually invest them back into the kingdom. The very things that you and I have in our hands, the very things that we may disregard as not important, the very things that we may think, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm just a good writer, I'm a just good cook, I'm a good photographer. God wants to take those things and have us invest them back into the kingdom. Let's look at the scripture a little bit. I'm going to start uh, Matthew 25, verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another, t- to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And I want to stop there and clarify a couple things one, I think it's really important that uh, the text says entrusted. Say entrusted. Like this, um, and, and you have to notice about this passage, this is just some background information. Um, this was a loan. Think in business terms. This wealthy master was not saying, Here, go take my money and do whatever you will. What was actually being said is, Hey, I'm going on a trip. Um, here is my wealth. I want you to manage it correctly. It's an entrusting. And here's the truth. It all comes from God. So you know what God is also saying to you and I? Whatever you have in your hand, I've entrusted it to you. And when you have someone's trust, when you have the God of the universe saying, I've entrusted you with something, man, you should take that seriously. And God says the very things that you have in your hand, he has entrusted to you. Also, he said, it says that they were giving, they were entrusted with these talents according to their own abil- ability, according to their ability. And, and sometimes I think when we hear this passage, we think about the, the quantity of what was distributed. We think about, oh, I want to be the person with five. <laughs> no, right? We get caught up on that. I want to be the person with two. I mean, I'm definitely not the person with one. I mean. Or maybe there's some of us like, yo, I don't have any. Maybe, there, maybe there's some of us that are like, look, the stuff that I have, God can't use. Well, listen, God has already seen fit that you have an ability and don't think about the quantity of what he gave you. Just trust and know that he's given you something. That the God of the universe has chosen to give you something. He's given you an ingredient. Maybe you're the eggs, maybe you're the batter, maybe you're the sugar, but he's given you something. And here in this passage, um, the servants, it wasn't about what they were given. What we begin to see is really the master was more concerned with what they did, with what they were given, entrusted according to their abilities. And then Talents. The second thing I want to clarify is talents. In the uh, English standard version, the word talents is used, and just so we know, think about it like this. Um, If you started a job today, and you were going to work there for 20 years, and they gave you your entire salary for 20 years up front. Word. Like, that's the kind of wealth... That's being talked about here. Some other translations say bags of gold. But again, here, we're not relegating this passage to money. And, and although that's the direct emphasis here, it's a, it's a business deal. It's, all, it's talking about money. But I want to expand um, our thinking into the fact that I, I really believe also the passage is symbolizing that God is more concerned with what you have in your hand. And yes, that could be money. But it could also be time. It could also be your ability to sing. It could be your ability to to, to rear children. It could be your ability to teach. It could be you're just a a good thinker. You're just an encouraging person to be around. Whatever you have in your hand, it's not just about money, but money's included. You can give online, no, I'm just playing. (laughs) The third, exceptions. Uh, Excuse me, expectations, the third expectations. What I want to make sure we have clear in this passage is that the servants were absolutely clear with what God was, what the master was expecting of them. See, in this time, it was customary that servants would, um, if if their master had entrusted them with something, that they would manage it in such a way that they knew the reward wasn't that they would just take off and be able to use the funds for for their own glory and for their own benefit. What they understood was, if I managed it well, if I could at least double down on my Uh, on on what on the loan on what the master had given me man when he comes back man he might give me more wages and give me more property and so their their motivation was to, to not for them to be benefited but uh to see their master pleased And that was expected. They knew that once he left, when he took off out of that door to go on this long journey, and I would imagine long journeys were probably pretty normal. You couldn't get on the A train to go to 59th Street. So I would imagine these journeys took months, weeks. So they had plenty of time. And it was expected that when the master came back, that they would at least do something with what they were given. Let's look back at the text a little bit, starting in verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also, he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And then the passage continues, and it talks about the, um, uh, what happened when the master comes back. And the master comes back, and the person with five says, here, master, I, I've, I've, I, I took the five, and I made five more, and the master's pleased. The one with two says, hey, I took this two, doubled down, I got two more, and the master is pleased. I want to look at this third servant and what happened with him in verse 24. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. Give it to him who has the ten talents, for to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And listen, I know this is difficult. This is hard for me. When I first read this, I'm like, man, that doesn't sound like a God who's loving. Jesus, why are you using this passage? Why are you using this parable? What are you trying to teach us? And 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 I know Jesus specifically is using this passage to tell disciples that I care about you being a good steward. I care about you using the things that you have in your hands. You know why? Because it's going to be one of the the, the the reasons that you show people the kingdom of God. And, and, and I think about, man, like, but still, this was harsh. You slothful, you wicked, slothful servant. And here's what we have to know. Remember, the expectations were set at the beginning. The expectations were set at the beginning. The master and the servants were on the same page. So we can't isolate this servant in this passage and just think that the servant is being picked on. In the same way that I would tell my children, I would give them clear instructions. I would say, "You got it. You, you sure? Tell me. Tell it back to me. That's what I have to do. So tell it back to me. Say, say it to me. Say it again. All right. We got it. We're good. Before I go, when I come back, if it's not done." Discipline is justifiable. Discipline is justifiable. But I want to continue. The truth of the matter is taking what we have in our hands and investing it into the kingdom of God is difficult. As much as this passage, I think, encourages us to do that, there's also some realities that it's hard. And here's why. Here's what I love about this servant because a lot of times I think in the Bible we try to identify with the people that are doing well. And we try to ask God, hey, why is that person over there getting in trouble? But I'm that servant. You're that servant. You know why? Because it's difficult for us to take what we have in our hands and invest it into the kingdom of God because we're fearful. Because we're fearful. We fear failure. Failure. There's so many times that we don't dive in or jump into, the thing, jump into things because we think we're going to fail. We defeat ourselves even before we start. Man, I, I, I remember the first time I started doing spoken word and rapping, things of that nature, and people would say, man, this, was, this is good. It really blessed me. Or, man, yo, as when I was good, can, where, where could I find that? Do you, do you have it online? Do you have uh, CDs? Do you have stuff? And I'd be like, nah, mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know, I was trying to be like sheepish about it. But here's the reality. I was scared. I'm still scared. I'm scared to actually go full throttle because I hate the notion that basketball players want to be rappers. That's, that's not the real reason. But, man, I'm fearful because I don't, I don't know where it would go. I don't know what the future is for this type of skill. I, I, I'm not going to leave my job for it. I'm not going to pursue this life of, like, spoken word. I don't really know what God wants me to do with it. And I'm so paralyzed that I don't do anything. You know why I do the spoken word that I do? Because those, those have already been affirmed. Those are already the ones that people have said, yo, I like that. That's good. Keep it. I'm like, oh, nope. All right. But I haven't, I haven't, I, I, I don't write as much as I get the inspiration to. I don't, I don't dive into it. I don't take the skill and, and give it back to God in a way. Say, God, use it for your glory. Use it so that it can bless people. I don't do that. I fear failure. And, 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 and embedded in that, because it's all about me, embedded in that, I really want to use it for my own benefit. If I could take it and it, it benefit me, okay, cool, then I'm going to use it. And all too often, we let those things paralyze us And we don't do anything. And I think this passage helps us see God does not want us to be so paralyzed by fear that we do nothing. Second, I think the second one is we don't know the heart of God. You heard his response? His response was, oh, you're the type of harsh master. Like, you just take things from people. Basically, he's saying, he's saying, you don't. You don't scatter seed and then come and get it. Like, you just take from people. And I, and I think the sad reality for many of us, we're ignorant to how God really feels about us. See, we don't, we don't realize how much God actually really truly loves us. And we attribute a lot of our um, earthly parents' attributes to God. And we relegate God to this dude that's just when he comes back and he wants to hold us accountable to what we've done, man, he just wants to punish us because he's so harsh. If we only knew when God entrusted us in the first place, he had tears in his eyes saying, man, I want you to do so well. I want you to, man, take this. Take what's mine. Take this this property, this wealth, and I'm I'm sticking to the parable. Take this, take it, take it, and do. Yo, go out there. Go, go, get out. Go, go tell people how dope I am. Go show them how really incredible I am because as you use what I've put in your hands already, man, I know. I know without a shadow of a doubt you're going to attribute it to me. And too often we go out and we attribute it to us. And then there's times that we just don't know what God is really thinking about us. Him succeeding means us succeeding. Here's what the good news says. The good news says we don't have to fear. The good news says we don't have to put the emphasis on us. Because you know why? If the emphasis is on us, we're going to fail. I love this passage, uh, lean not on your own understanding. When we lean on our own understanding of God or what God can do with the things in our hand, man, we often come to a false conclusion. We don't have to fear. We don't have to uh, 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 focus so much on ourselves because you know what the truth is? The truth is that fear actually is really about you. Fear is really about you. Because in your fear, you're more concerned with how you feel or how you're going to look. And so you do nothing. And God is asking us through this passage to take all that I've given you, all in your hands, and give it back to me. And here's why we can rest assured. Here's what our motivation should be. Our motivation should be, just like the servants, our motivation should be to see God smile and say, man, you've been faithful with little, and I'm going to give you more. Here's why. Listen to this passage. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified is just a legal term. That means we've been made right. Uh, uh, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Listen to this. Verse 8, Romans 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Too often, we invert the equation. We put the emphasis of the work that needs to be done on us. And what God is saying, that can't be. God is saying, you know what? I have paid it all. I have done all. I have given all. I have taken what was in my hand, the only begotten son. I have emptied him out on a cross so that the people who believe and trust and receive this gift can now be in right relationship with the God of the universe. I did that for you. And you know what that's also saying? You couldn't do it for yourself. And too often... It's difficult to take what we have in our hands because we're so consumed with ourselves that we don't want to just let go and trust God that, hey, God, if I take what you have given me and I actually invest it into the kingdom of God, man, I'm going to benefit because you're going to be pleased. And I want to get uh, uh, just a quick point of clarity. I want to make sure we are not leaving this auditorium thinking that if you steward things well, if you steward the things that God has given you well, then God would love you. That's not what I'm saying because that's not true. God already loves you. The work, the evidence is Christ is on the cross screaming, I already love you, Renaissance. But what's being said is as now because of that truth, because he already loves you, the motivation now is to please him. Man, if you don't know Christ is your personal Lord and Savior, then I understand why we're so ignorant to who he is. But those of us, the children of God, who get to know that he's a good, good father, that he provides for us, that he wants what's best for us. He has a plan and a purpose for us. Those of us who know that know that at the end of the day, we're not trying to earn his love, but we want to make him smile. And that's the motivation to take what you have in your hand and actually use it for the glory of God. The motivation is so, so that daddy uh, comes back and he says to you, man, good And faithful servant, you've been faithful with little. Now I can give you more. And then I love what the passage says. It says, now enter into the joy of your master. There's a special place for the children of God who are actively using what God has given them to glorify him, to display his power. I want to close with this there's some application here. I want us to walk away with this. What do you actually have in your hand? What is it? And I'm not asking you to open your hand right now and look at it, but I'm going to ask you, open your hand and look at it. What do you have in your hand? What is it? Can you sew? Do you know how to cook? Can you paint? Can you sing? Do you draw? Take an inventory because here's the truth. God has already given you some ingredients. And the same God that has provided those ingredients is the same God that is going to make sure when you use it, man, it's going to be more powerful than you ever thought. Second, go use it. Don't just talk about it. Don't just think about it. Man, I want you to... Open your hand, say, God, what do I have in my hand? When he reveals it to you, I want you to praise him for it. Say, God, thank you so much for what you've given me. Thank you for these things. And then I want you to actually go out and use it. Don't just look at it. Don't just talk about how good it feels to discover what your real talents or passions are. Can you sew? Well, then, go find a shelter and make hats and scarves for the homeless. Do you love to read? Go to a failing elementary school. Help a kindergarten class read better. Don't make any excuses. Don't doubt. Just look at what you have in your hand and go and use it. Lastly, invest it. And this takes intentional effort. Invest it in the kingdom of God. And here's how. I know that's, that's kind of ambiguous. Here's how you invest it in the kingdom of God. You take what you have in your hand and you focus on the least, the last, and the lost. You take the very thing that God has given you, whatever passions, whatever skills, whatever money, whatever time, you take it and you focus it on the least, the last, and the lost. See, I am privileged because I am an educated black man. And so there's some level, I, some level of pr- privilege that I have. And what I've tried to do with some portions of my life, I've tried to level my sense of education and take actually young men who may have been incarcerated or who don't have the uh, who will not have the opportunity to be exposed to higher education. And I want to teach them some basic principles, communication, money, whatever it is, time management, which I'm still working on. (laughs) But I got some talents. And I think invested in the kingdom of God just says Focus on the least, the last, and the lost. Renaissance, God cares about us being good stewards. What do you have in your hand? Take it and invest it into the kingdom of God and trust and know. The one who gave it all expects you to give it all because he gave it all. Let me pray. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for the truth that you've given us ingredients And the same one who's given us those ingredients expects us to use them. You don't want us to bury anything. You don't want us to be paralyzed by fear. And you know that we do that when we invert the equation. God, we repent for the times that we focus more on us than we do on you. You can take what we have in our hands and use it for your glory. God, give us that courage and boldness. In Jesus' name, amen.